This podcast is produced by the ABA Journal. We bring you the latest legal news every day from around the web. Visit us online at abajournal.com. Thank you for joining us for the Modern Law Library podcast. I'm ABA Journal web producer Lee Rawls. This is a special episode because I'm speaking with David Ellis, one of the three finalists for the 2012 Harper Lee Prize for Legal Fiction. He was nominated for Breach of Trust, the second book in his Jason Coleridge series. Breach of Trust is a political crime thriller starring a young lawyer who's gone rogue after the deaths of his wife and daughter. He infiltrates the highest reaches of state government to solve a murder and expose corruption. David, the setting for this book will seem familiar to anyone versed in Illinois state politics, but for those not in the know, can you explain a little bit about the true events that inspired Breach of Trust? Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, Most people will associate this book with uh, Governor Blagojevich and probably my role in um, prosecuting him and impeaching him and removing him from office. And and it's true that uh, to some extent I did borrow events from the Blagojevich saga. Uh, But what's interesting is I was actually beginning to write this story before the governor got arrested. Uh, I had been working in Springfield as the attorney for the Speaker of the House for uh, a few years before Governor Blagojevich was arrested and charged with these crazy crimes. And we all had a sense that he was doing things he shouldn't be doing, but nobody knew exactly what they were. And meanwhile, he was in a blood war with my boss, the Speaker. The Governor and the Speaker of the House were fighting like they've never fought before in the history of the state. And the governor sued my boss twice in my first year down there. And we were just in the middle of, I I walked into Beirut. I walked into a civil war going on. And my publisher kept saying to me, why aren't you getting your books done on time? And I said, well, we've got this governor who you've never heard of and you couldn't pronounce his name, named Rod Blagojevich. And he's crazy. And he's doing ridiculous things. And he's keeping me working around the clock. And they said, well, is he interesting? And I said, well, you could, you could say that. I guess you could call him interesting. That's one word to use. And they said, well, why don't you write a book about him? And so I was actually beginning to write a story about a governor who starts out with good intentions and goes corrupt uh, when on December 9th, 2008, I, I turned on the television at about 730 in the morning and, and heard that our governor was in handcuffs. And once I found out that he had been arrested and I learned all the things he was charged with. I realized that I was going to have to stop writing that book and I was going to have to tailor it a little bit to to real life because the fiction that I was writing was not nearly as crazy and unbelievable as the real events unfolding before me. I remember that morning. I saw it as well on the news, morning news before I went into work. Uh, it was it was quite something, but there are there are many differences, of course, between the fictional governor uh, Carlton Snow and Rod Blagojevich. But um, the main character, Jason Coleridge, I find very interesting. Now, this is the first series you've written, is that correct? This is this is the uh, Breach of Trust is the second book in the Jason Coleridge series. I'd written uh, I think five standalones before that. And, you know, publishers like you to write series because they like readers to identify with a brand, with a character. And I always said to them, I'll write a series when I find a character. And when I wrote the first novel in the Jason Coleridge series, I had no intention at that moment of writing a series. But by the time I got through the first book, which was called The Hidden Man, uh, I realized that I had found somebody I wanted to spend time with. So then all of a sudden, as I'm starting to write about this corrupt governor, I have to fit it into this uh, this new series with Jason. It, it took a little tinkering to work Jason's 
biography, his his life history around uh, this new story idea, and to fit him into a you know corruption at the highest levels of state government when Jason had never worked in state government. But it was worth doing because I wanted to stay with Jason. I wanted to keep that continuity, and I really needed to tell this story at the time it was taking place. Jason's legal background is really interesting. He started out as a prosecutor, then joined this big firm as a defense attorney, and now he's practicing as a solo, and he's doing government work. Uh, What do you think his career path says about his character? Well, Jason was one of these guys who came from very, very little. He's a very humble guy who came from a, a, a poor background on the south side of a major city. And, uh, you know, he got to law school almost by luck. He was a good athlete. It got him to college based on a scholarship, and he, he started to turn his life around. And he did what a lot of people do when they first get out of law school, is he became a prosecutor to get the trial experience and then was always sort of hoping, like a lot of people do, that he would make it to a big law firm. And then he finally did, but of course, as anyone who reads the book will learn, he he suffered a family tragedy at that point, and his life came a little bit unglued. So at that point, he's sort of a a ship out to sea without any kind of an anchor or any kind of a direction. He basically drops out of the big law firm, and and one of his good friends pulls him into her small firm and says, you're going to keep practicing law, because if you don't, you're not going to have anything to do with your life. So he's, he's really a man who has been crashed down to earth he's had everything taken away from him and now he's rebuilding and that by the way lee is one of the reasons why i found him so appealing what i tend to do in my novels at least in the five novels that preceded the series was to take a protagonist and run him through the ringer so there's nothing left of him or her at the end Uh, with jason his story begins with he's already had everything taken away from him so now here's a guy who's rebuilding he's trying to figure out his faith He's trying to figure out his role in society. He's trying to figure out when he should be following rules and when he should be just be doing what he thinks is the right thing. Uh, lots of ethical dilemmas for him. Uh, he's really still trying to find himself, and I think that makes him very interesting because he, he hasn't found himself quite yet. What's your background in law? Um, I graduated from law school in 1993, and I uh, went to work for a a law firm in downtown Chicago. I guess you would call it kind of a politically connected law firm, although I had no connection to the politics side of it. Um, And then um, um, at the end of the decade, 99-2000, I went to work for the Speaker of the House for a couple of years as an assistant attorney just because I was bored with civil litigation. I was getting tired of pushing paper around, and I wanted to do something different. Uh, when I came back to Chicago after working for the Speaker, I, um, I started working in government, on government cases. I was in private practice but representing the government, and I was doing a lot of really interesting things, a lot of constitutional issues, and so I had my own practice for several years, and uh, you know, it allowed me to write as much as I wanted to, to be my own boss, to, to work as hard as I needed to as an attorney. And then in, in 2006, the Speaker of the House called me and said, I need, I need a top lawyer and I want it to be you. And so I, I thought, well, this was a, another chapter. You know, when you're a young lawyer, you want to gain as much experience as you can, um, build as many bridges as possible, just get everything you can um, from the practice before you settle down maybe with your, your final job. And so I thought this was a chance to, you know, to see things I'd never seen. I had no idea what I was walking into. As I said before, I sort of walked into a civil war. I didn't realize that. But, you know, all things that don't kill you make you stronger, as they say. And uh, I certainly learned an awful lot in the five years I was there. And um, 
you know, now I'm sort of wondering what happens next for me, sort of like Jason's wondering for himself. Well, you've been nominated for the Harper Lee Prize. When was the first time you read To Kill a Mockingbird, and what effect did it have on you? You know, I read To Kill a Mockingbird in high school. I don't even think it was for an assignment. I think somebody just told me that I would really like it. Everyone always told me I was going to become a lawyer, and so I thought I, you know, I'll read To Kill a Mockingbird. You know, what struck me about it was what was so exceptional about that book, I thought, was the way that looking through a child's somewhat naive eyes, uh, we could see so much injustice and, and in such an understated way make the point. There's nothing preachy in that book. Um, and again, because it's through Scout's eyes, a uh, child's eyes, uh, it can, the things that are happening to, to, to these poor people, to this poor defendant, and the, and the frustration that her father, as the defense attorney, is experiencing felt so palpable to me. I, I don't like being preached to. I don't like when people tell me something is bad or good. I like it when they show me through the narrative and through the events. And so we saw these horrible things happening, this total racial injustice, without it being a preachy kind of, kind of presentation. Uh, I thought that her, her prose, you know, as someone who always appreciated good writing, I thought Harper Lee's prose was, was so magnificent. I, I think the best writers are the people who can look like it's effortless when they're doing it. And there's not very many people I can say that about where you, you don't get any sense that they're trying. It, it just feels like it's just flowing. It, it's, it's like silk. It's so smooth. And it's not because of the number of syllables in the words. It's not because of anything fancy they're doing. It's because the way they present it, it just feels so natural. You almost forget you're reading a book and you just think I'm in a story. And Harper Lee is one of the people who could do that. It was, it, you know, when, I, when I'm asked, uh, what is my favorite novel, uh, my usual answer is To Kill a Mockingbird. And, and that was before I knew anything about the Harper Lee Prize, but that's one of the things that makes it such an honor to be nominated for an award named after the person who wrote my favorite book is, uh, you know, I'm speechless. And she never wrote another book, right? Nope, that was it. That's unbelievable. Was Can you imagine in today's era, I mean, people would be just... I mean, clamoring for her to write something else. I mean, the fact that she didn't makes me like her so much that she like was willing to say, look, I did this incredible thing. I'm, I'm going to stop now. It's pretty amazing. You have an excerpt for us from your book. Would you mind reading that? I would be happy to. This is, this is something that happens at the beginning of the book, and Jason is explaining why he's telling this entire story. I am recounting this story in case I'm not around when the dust settles. If some unfortunate accident should befall me, as they say, and I am unable to testify, I want to have some account of what I did and why. I will not try to justify my actions. I could tell you that they made me do it, but that's hardly the point, and it may not be entirely accurate. I won't lie to you, which is to say I will not deliberately mislead you. I will give you the most accurate account of events I can muster but I can't promise it will be the truth. Truth is a matter of perspective, and if you don't believe me, then just watch how this whole thing plays out. Everyone who is a part of this story will tell a different version when their time comes. In most of those versions, the hero will be whoever is telling the story. In many of those versions, no doubt, the villain will be me. The third book in the Jason Coleridge series, The Wrong Man, will be released on June 14th. What's next for our, our intrepid attorney? 
Well, uh, Jason is going to um, try to uh, open his heart again to love. He is going to meet somebody who's going to mean something to him. I won't give away how it turns out, but for Jason, it's a big step after having lost his wife uh, to a tragic accident to actually consider the idea that some other woman could be a part of his life. So that's one thing that happens. More than that, he he takes on a case involving a a veteran of the Iraq war who's suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. And he thinks that the case is going to be a simple matter where the man pleads not guilty to murder because he went insane due to post-traumatic stress. What Jason finds out instead is that this man is innocent and he simply doesn't remember what happened. And as he tries to untangle this this plot and, and realize who exactly it was who did commit the crime, he finds himself in the middle of an international terrorism plot. So Jason is uh, is going to, as usual, bite off a little more than he can chew and sort of figure it out the hard way. That was certainly true of this book. <laughs> well, David, thank you so much for talking with us. Well, thank you, Lee. It was my pleasure. This podcast was brought to you by the ABA Journal. For more podcasts on the legal issues of the day, visit us online at abajournal.com or subscribe for free to the ABA Journal podcast on iTunes.